Hello, and welcome to Must Love Food. I'm Amanda, and today's show is all about wine. We're talking with Jared Junta, who is the Wine and Spirits Director for the Port of Des Moines. Believe me, he gave us a real education on wine. He'll also help pair wine with a meal created from Haley's Fridge. And finally, we'll play some wine-related trivia. Enjoy the show. Please note, this episode does contain adult language. Visit our site to learn about special offers, new products, and more for purchase. We offer live cooking seminars from pasta making and cast iron cooking to pie baking and stir frying techniques. Our special interest publications feature recipes centered around certain topics like feel good food and slow cooker dinners. We also offer custom cuisine at home branded kitchen tools such as aprons, cutting boards, and bench knives. Shop all of our offerings at cuisineathome.com. Hi, my name's Haley, and welcome to Spill the Beans. Here, I have Amanda and Jared Junta with us to talk about wine. Yeah, hi. So, Jared, can you can you kind of start us off? Give us a history. How did you get started in this industry? Yeah, um, so I got started at Table 128 in, in West Des Moines, working under Blake Brown and uh, Lynn and Sarah Pritchard. And that was where I kind of got my start in craft cocktails. But where I really fell in love with beverages was at a dive bar named Whiskey Dicks off 4th Street. Um, it, it was a really, really awesome, terrible place to work. Uh, we had 180 bourbons and we would be serving like these incredible bourbons at, you know, $50, $60 a glass from 4 to 9 p.m. And then it would hit like 10 p.m. and I would be pouring fireball for like really drunk 21 year olds. Um, and so I had this like great like dichotomy of, of like working in a speed bar, but also getting to know these really incredible pro- uh, products. Uh, I took a break from the industry for a while and then I came to proof. Uh, my friend Nick Cornelson was the beverage director at the time under your husband. And he said like, hey, we, uh, we do these 10 course tasting menus every second Saturday and their dishwasher just quit. He's like, can you just come wash dishes for the night? And I fell in love with the place and started washing dishes at proof and uh, they didn't get rid of me for four years. So I I went from dishwasher to bartender um, working under Josh Buxbaum and Nick uh, and Briar Brackney, who's brilliant. Uh, And then they then Sean, when Briar left, gave me the program. And then when he sold the place, uh, they made me the general manager, which is a terrible job that nobody tells you. That's that's not in management. Um, so while I was running the program, I was the sommelier. Um, I was doing the cocktails and the beer. And then uh, now I am the wine and spirits director for Port of Des Moines, which is the umbrella company for uh, seven locations. Here, we've got an event space that fits 1,500 people. We've got Trellis at the Botanical Gardens, which is like a lunch cafe. Uh, the Hub, which is like a dope place to get Bloody Marys and ride your bike to. The Purveyor, which is a wine bar um, that's focused on uh, natural wine and, and you know sustainable industries that uh, or sustainable products. Uh, that's my baby right now that we're trying to get off the ground. We just had our grand opening on Saturday and then a couple catering operations. So uh, yeah, I also run the the cocktail and wine programs for 
uh, a jazz club and a beer hall in town as well. Sounds like you're busy. I I, I like to be busy. (laughs) Yep. So we're really interested in the natural wines. Can you kind of give us a breakdown of what what that means. Yeah. So natural wine or natty wine. And I'm like the worst person to talk about this because like deep down inside, I really hate natural wines. Um, <laughs> it's uh, and don't get me wrong. I natural wines and the movement is very important, but there's there's a lot wrong with the industry okay. right now. Um, so natural wine, when we talk about natural wine, the, the term I really prefer is low intervention. Um, so what we mean, organic, biodynamic, no herbicides, no pesticides, like these, the, which is great. And to me, natural wine needs to be about the farming. The farming is the most important part because the wine in- industry is very wasteful. Okay. Be- between irrigation, um, the herbicides, the pesticides that I already mentioned, like that's that's all terrible for the environment. And it, that sucks. And then we start taking into consideration bottles, corks, labels. These are not sustainable things. And if we want to continue drinking wine and living on this planet in general, we like need to like give a shit about about that part of the industry. So natural wine, my big problem is natural wines are challenging. Um, I when I talk about wine, sometimes I talk about fun wine and serious wine. Serious wine being like, let, let's talk about first growth Bordeaux. Let's let's talk about like Baller Burgundy and Champagne. <laughs> Baller Burgundy, I love, I love that. I mean, that's <laughs> it's like it, it's what it is. Um, and like those are some serious wines that you feel like you have to like put put a suit on or like dress up for. Special and you've got occasion. To, yeah, and they shouldn't be, but that's that's kind of how they've turned into a lot because of price point. Um, natural wine to me is very fun. It's not quite as serious. Uh, the thing that I don't like about natural wine is some of the, the qualities that natural wine producers get away with as part of their wine. If I was in a blind tasting and, or you were a distributor and you were bringing me these wines and you didn't tell me they were natural, I would say that they're flaws. Um, hmm. Psalm talk being like VA volatile acidity. Uh-huh. I love high acid wines. High acid wines are great for food pairing. Makes your mouth water, makes mm-hmm. you want to take another bite, makes you want to have another sip of wine. But volatile acidity is like sour beer territory. And I mm. love I love Belgian sours and Flemish sours, but I don't want my wine to taste like salad dressing. And there's a lot of natural wine sense. producers that don't like they're just like oh it's VA we're open tank fermentation so it's fine like we're just we're letting it's that's just part of the wine um and there are some people Lemelson Vineyards in Willamette Valley like these guys are killing it so Willamette we've got big like the big four grapes right Chardonnay Pinot Gris Riesling Pinot Noir is that in Oregon yes, yes. okay okay yeah just wanted to make sure. uh, <laughs> so like and these guys are killing it everything's gravity fed so they're not even using pumps to like get the wine from one tank to another nice. uh all organic on their vineyard super small production and if i didn't tell you they were natural wines you wouldn't know because their pinot noir tastes like pinot noir is supposed to okay and that's more than a lot of producers can say that said the natural wine movement is both very new and very old so you've got like Coturi in Sonoma, 
they've been in Sonoma since like the late 1800s. They've been growing grapes for forever. And their wines, they're, they're making wines the way that people made wines in Italy. They, a, lot of, a lot of Zinfandel, so Primitivo is what we would say in Italian. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're growing Zinfandel and treating it the way that my great, 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 great grandfather probably treated it in Italy. Does it taste like Zin? Not necessarily. Is it fun? Yes. Are these wines that I think have longevity that you can, you know, buy 10 cases so that you can open one on your birthday for the rest of your life? No. Um, but the the movement is important. And the big thing is, is that like the food and beverage industry as a whole, we're it's a wasteful industry. And we're we're all it's true. Yeah. Like, I mean, at, at the end of end of the day, you have an event, you have a party. You throw a party. You buy a case of wine that's 24 labels because you've got front and back. That's 12 corks. That's 12 uh, That's twelve bottles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're going to take that and you're going to dump it into a recycling bin that may or may not be properly handled. And that's not counting shipping. You've got cardboard, the, the, the cost to get there. Like the thing that I love about the natural wine movement is that these producers care they're using recycled glass. They're not using corks. They're using uh, like, like not screw tops, but, you know, like the things that just clamp down mm-hmm. and bottle tops that are more eco friendly mm-hmm. because you don't they, they don't care about the pomp and the circumstance of like opening up a bottle of wine. So it's a it's a very important movement. I just want to put stress on the winemakers that it needs to be about what's in the glass. Mm hmm. And a lot of these producers are more worried about the story and the mystique and the I'm doing it this way instead of... Rather than the finished product. Yeah. Yeah. If it's not good in the glass, then it's not good. Nope. It's not. So is there a takeaway for our listeners? You know, if if that's something that's really important to them, they want to get a natural wine, how do they know... Are there certain brands that are better than others? Or what can they do to ensure Um, they're going to get a good glass of wine? Yeah. um, For people on the coast... And it, like any of the bigger marketplaces, you're probably a short Google away from a mm-hmm. natural wine bar. We've got one opening up next to a jazz club downtown. And, really? And, and, yeah. This is exciting to hear for me. I, I yeah, it's called that. The Cave. Uh, oh, Nick cool. Leo's great, and he's super hip, um, and he he really cares about this stuff. But uh, it's it, Google. And you will find somebody that knows what they're talking about with natural wine. Okay. Know that some of these wines are challenging. And it, the great thing about wine is that if you order a glass, the worst thing that to happen if you don't like it is you only have to drink a glass of it. Um, and, but these these wines are, are challenging and they're not the, the stereotypical version of what wine is that your your natty pinot noir is not going to taste like the pinot noir that you had uh that you bought at the grocery store that week um the the vineyard that i'm the most impressed with is lemelson out of willamette which i mentioned before they do a couple pinots um and yeah they're dry riesling with blue cheese is like money pairing Mm. like super great their chardonnay is incredible um they it's it, it, they they do a really 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 great job and it's affordable. We're talking it. This will cost you eighteen dollars for the the riesling and the pinot gris 
on the shelf, maybe $25, okay. maybe $30 if the owners are super greedy for the, the Chardonnay <laughs> and the Pinot Noir. Their, their reserve Pinot Noirs get a little more expensive and their rosé is a little more expensive, but it's they, they kill it. Okay. okay. Are these things we can buy here in Des Moines? Um, yes. Uh, really? At least from me. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> you gotta know a guy. Plug. A okay, yeah. Come to Purveyor. I've got these wines. Oh, um, awesome. But the 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 other thing that you always have to think about with natural wine producers is none of these guys have these massive operations. Mm-hmm. Like with Lemelson, they've got one Pinot Noir that they do ten thousand cases of. That's not a lot of wine. Sounds like a lot. It's not. Um, their Chardonnay, they do like. 250 cases of mm-hmm. same thing with their Riesling oh, and they, wow. they're, they're not making any money like that's the, the dude had a bunch of money beforehand so he's fine but this is not like they're they're not raking in money it's not like it's like a hobby, a hobby yeah. vineyard yeah yeah this is a very expensive hobby yes. for, for the owner um well we're lucky for us though yeah <laughs> if we get to enjoy yeah. this wine and i mean their their winemaker eric is like killer he and like the big thing with me is it, like i i want to care about the world i want i want to do the right thing but if your pinot doesn't taste like pinot i don't want to drink it and yep. i definitely don't don't want to serve it um and lemelson did a great job of putting something in front of me that tasted like it's supposed to and was a, a high quality representation of mm-hmm. that. So I was I was very happy with that. Okay, so okay. I, I have a question. How if you're just going into a wine store, I mean our our grocery stores here aren't probably going to carry these kind of things, but if you're going into a wine store, how can you look at a label and know that you're buying a natural wine versus the bigger producers? Well, the that's a that's a good question, and it, it's hard to tell. Sometimes they don't just put like natural right. on it. it. We like in the restaurant industry, we make the joke like, "How do you know a vegan's a vegan?" They tell you. Like that's um, okay. Um, a lot of natural wines will be in uh, like non-traditional quote quote bottles, um, but like with the pop tops that you were saying, maybe. Yeah. Or- um, the big thing that I always tell people about, you know, going into a wine shop and trying to find wine that they want for any occasion, just ask for help. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't go into the doctor's office and pick out what vaccination I'm going to get or like what to tap my leg with to make sure my <laughs> reflexes work. I ask for help. Well, that's, <laughs> that's a good point. I mean, and I think it depends probably depends where you go. Maybe at the grocery store, they won't be able to help you. But, you know, here at Ingersoll Wine and Spirits, I've had good luck with recommendations. Yeah. Neverest at Ingersoll is is brilliant. You go to Purveyor, like, talk to the Psalm, talk to me. Like, that's that's Mm -hmm. what I'm there for is to help you. So if you you walk into a place that has a decent wine program, there will be somebody there that knows what they're talking about. And if they don't, you can like DM me on Instagram or something and I can probably <laughs> help you out. Like it's that's that's what we're here for. Okay. Good to know. So another thing, a term I've heard thrown around, and I don't know if it's the same thing as the natural wine, but pet nat. Yeah, it, that's that falls under the umbrella okay. of of natural wine. Okay. So it's a variation on it or a branch yeah, of it. It's sparkling. Okay. So, so it's got bubbles. Oh, but sparkling. Yeah. Did not know that. Yeah. And like pet nat, it, it like 
It's it, I don't love it. I'm a champagne whore. Like I <laughs> like honestly, like I'm a French whore. I think whore. maybe I am too, actually. I maybe me as well. Every I think everybody is, but like Chardonnay, Riesling, and Champagne, like that's Burgundy. All sauce and champagne. Uh-huh. Like if I could just live in like northern France, I would probably be much happier, at least more intoxicated. Um, <laughs> but yeah, pet nat is, is, is like natural fermentation for sparkling wine. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's actually it. Sounds really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> there's some really cool wine. Stoltman does a cool one. Um, I don't drink a ton of pet nat. Uh, like I said, I've I've got. I like champagne, so I just mm-hmm. drink that. Um, but yeah, they're they're fun wines. Again, challenging, not not slam, like slam back and and enjoy. But are you though, slamming your champagne usually? Then is that what you're saying? Here? Sometimes. <laughs> okay, is depends it on the occasion. Yeah, yeah. So, is it Krug? Like <laughs> so. In terms of champagne, what are some of your favorite brands? Oh, okay. So. Um, the thing I love about sparkling wine in general is that these are food-friendly pairings. Uh-huh. Um, cheese and charcuterie, like I'm happy, if it's a good champagne, I'm happy drinking it with a bloody steak. Um, the big the the big brands that I love, um, if I'm drinking champagne, I drink a lot of Jean Laurent. Um, this is a incredible vineyard and it's what we call grower champagne. Mm-hmm. So grower champagne is all estate fruit so they grown on the premises grown on the premises Mm -hmm. bottled on the premises and then sold jean laurent has super small case production their non-vintage is like 40 bucks on the shelf Mm -hmm. maybe a little cheaper if you're in literally any other state but iowa um and it is in my opinion it out drinks damn near every major champagne house except Mm. for krug okay um and krug's non-vintage it blends 23 of their vintage champagnes to make their non-vintage consistent. That starts at like uh, wholesale. It's 180 a bottle, so Woo! it's probably 220 on the shelf. I would rather off. Well, I can only afford to drink Jean Laurent, but like I can't say that enough. Jean Laurent is brilliant. Their 2008 vintage came in at 75 bucks a bottle. Is world class. Oh. Um, but I like it, it, like Dom. Vouv, like those those big brand names, mm-hmm. Bollinger, except for their high end stuff, like it's garbage. It's it's is it's, it really? No, it's shit wine. Like I'm sorry, it's just got the name behind it, so everyone assumes yeah. it's the best of the best. Yeah, and these it, like it's not like right now. I'm doing Dom from 2008 mm-hmm. by the glass at Purveyor. Um, wow. It's not a cheap glass, I'm but I'm sure doing not, it. I'm sure not, but that's not well, often it, that you get to have a glass of well, that. Well, it must go quickly enough that you're we've willing got a, to We've got a dope. It? There's a, a system called the Perlage system okay. that, like, keeps sparkling wine good for, like, 10 days. Oh. It's it's wow. It's really incredible. Um, but I, like, Dom's got a lot of marketing behind it. So does Cristal mm-hmm. and and Bali and, like, all these big names. And the thing, you end up paying for these labels. And don't get me wrong. If you if you want to buy a bottle of Krug, buy it. It's the best wine in the world. I love this wine. But like Dom, unless you're drinking their super high end that starts at, you know, two mortgage payments, <laughs> like it's not worth it. Like I can find you grower champagne that I've met the farmer, I've met the winemaker, 
and it outdrinks it. Um, so much uh, like the the region of Champagne has always been kind of uh, synonymous with luxury um, and kind of excess. Uh, the, the king of France always got coronated at the cathedral in Reims in mm -hmm. Champagne. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it was just like this thing that was super high end and super luxurious. And like, it, it's crazy because the, the, the soil in Champagne is such like crap. Like mm -hmm. it, it like looks white. Because of over farming or? No, no, it's, it's poor soil. Yeah, it's, it's limestone. Okay. It, like it, it's, it's limestone and, and like, well, the, I think that's what kind of gives it the flavor that yeah. is enticing, right? Exactly. The, the terroir, yeah, terroir, perhaps. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and like terroir is kind of the 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 terroir in Champagne, not just like the garbage soil. It's super porous limestone clay, and then you've also it's cold. It gets to like fifty five degrees. Global warming, maybe it gets to sixty degrees now, but like that's right at that cusp where grapes, like, can live but barely. Okay. Um, but Champagne was always jealous of Burgundy, which is to the south, because mm -hmm. they grow the same grapes there. So we're talking about Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. In Champagne, they've got Pinot Meunier, which is just a clone of Pinot Noir that they use. It's to, okay. to make the their non-vintage wine funky, which is, is something that kind of rushes the, the aging process. Mm -hmm. um, but... It's, yeah, like the, the soil in Champagne is hard to grow in, but it makes these incredible grapes that are garbage unless they're sparkling. Um, wow. Interesting. I, it is. <laughs> okay. It's a little okay. bit of a is, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. All of this is very interesting. All right. So I've heard you mention Pinot Noir is used to make Champagne, and I've heard that before. Tell us how, how do you not end up with a red wine? Yeah, so... The, the quickest answer that I would give is, um, so all grapes kind of have a tint and the juice that comes out of them has a tint. Uh, what gives red wine the, the redness is the, uh, like the pressing and the fermentation process. So take the grapes, they go into a stainless steel tank or an oak barrel, you press them and the skins and the, the stems uh, with red wine, they leave them in while they're fermenting for the most part. And with white wine, you press them and you pull them. Okay. So, and, and that's how rosés are made. It's all about skin contact. All right. Yeah. Same for orange wine as well, right? Yes. Okay. It's not made from oranges, guys. It is not. There. Gosh, I thought for a long time it was. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the orange wine is like a tricky thing that kind of falls back under that like natural wine um, category for, for a lot of it. Josh Buxbaum, sent me some incredible orange wines from from uh the czech republic that were were stunning and they were the only good ones i've ever had um <laughs> and it's it, it's just about skin contact and lees contact while the the wine is fermenting orange okay. wine originally came from georgia right the well, country of georgia yeah, so this is like we found remnants of what wine could be in China, uh -huh. that's older, but Georgia, kind of that whole Eastern Mediterranean kind of chunk, all of them say that we're the birthplace of viticulture and wine. Uh -huh. um, Croatia says it, Georgia says it, uh -huh. but yeah, it, it's it, Georgia is kind of the universally accepted 
birthplace of wine and like fermentation, like that old wine in general, not just orange wine. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, I'm circling back to corks because we talked a lot about corks, and that was one of our questions, too. I didn't know there were so many options to seal up bottles besides corks, synthetic corks. Yeah, screw tops, bags, kegs, yeah. etc. Um, Is one better than the other? Ooh. Uh, if, if people stop putting corks in wine, I'm not going to have a job. Uh, so please keep putting corks in wine. But... Um, <laughs> They're so it's like organic cork. We're talking about tree bark mm-hmm. and it's going extinct. Right. Uh, so the thing about tree bark and like real cork is that they tend to fail. Um, if you if you're going to buy a 75 year old bottle of Barolo and it's got the real cork in it, if it wasn't stored perfectly, you know, in a cellar, Mm -hmm. right humidity, right temperature, that cork probably will fail, the wine will be bad, and you're going to spend hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of dollars on on cooking wine. Um, Oh, wow. That'd be a disappointment. It sure would. Yeah, and that that really sucks. I've done it. Um, And so, like, but there is something to me, like, sexy about pulling a real cork like the, the, you can feel it. Like you feel that that it's it's romantic. It's part of the experience. Synthetic corks, I think, are great. Um, I don't like the pop they make when you pull one out of the bottle, but they don't fail as often, and and that's important. You still go through the motion of like I'm opening up a bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, screw tops are great. I don't think the the like world class wines, Chateau Lafitte. You they're know, not going to be using. Nobody. They're never going to like put their wine in a bag or in a keg <laughs> right. or put a screw top on it. But those screw tops, I have. I open thousands of bottles of wine a year. I've never opened a screw top that was corked. Um, I have opened screw tops that were baked because mm-hmm. a distributor kept it in a van too long. And it was 98 degrees outside, but I've I've never opened one that I was like, there's TCA, which is a particular type of fungus that makes your wine smell like wet cardboard or, or we wet dog. We researched this yesterday. We did, and, yeah. and we'd like you to tell us more about that. Yes, please. Yeah. How do you know? I'm pretty positive I had a corked bottle of wine over the weekend. Okay. It was really, okay, so I have, I had, I, they were either Bordeaux or Burgundies. So I had two of them from different producers. The first one I had t- smelled awful, didn't taste great. I still drank it because I'm not wasteful. <laughs> <laughs> but the next night I opened another bottle from another producer, same year and everything, and it tasted completely different. So how do you know that? And you said same bottle, same producer, same year? Different producers, same year. Okay, so that's that's like saying... It's not quite like, apples to apples. Yeah, yeah. We're like comparing Granny Smith apples to uh, like delicious apples or whatever the red ones are called. Red um, delicious, which are not yeah. that delicious also, no. yeah. by the way. <laughs> um, I agree. Uh, so when we say a bottle of wine is corked, like if you want to go through like steps of service at, as if you were at a table, um, the first thing that I do after I present the bottle and cut the foil, pull the cork out, 
I always smell the cork. Mm -hmm. And I've gone back and forth with, you know, people who have great wine knowledge and sommeliers who say you can't tell anything from smelling the cork. But for me personally, when I smell the cork, if it smells like wet cardboard or wet dog, that's the first indication that I want to taste the wine. Mm-hmm. Um, in a restaurant setting, you never want your, your guests to have a bad taste in their mouth. Mm-hmm. So if for even a slight reason I think the wine is corked, I grab, a, I grab the glass and I say, I need to taste this. Mm-hmm. I think there might be something wrong with the mm-hmm. bottle. Let me taste this for you. Because you, you don't want them to get something, like I said, bad in their mouth. Um, so the, the first indicator is going to be wet cardboard, mm-hmm. wet dog. Um, and to me, I think you can get that on the uh, yeah. cork. I mean, I smelled it on the cork. Yeah. And oh. it's some, people, yeah. It's, some people will disagree, but and sometimes that blows off. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it just, you know, it needs to degas or, or, mm-hmm. or air for a while. But but usually that is that is a sign of TCA, which is a particular fungus that that grows uh-huh. and, and taints the wine. So I drank fungus basically is what you're I mean, do you like cheese? It's true. And I love mushrooms, but yeah, you're fine. <laughs> it's fine. I survived the weekend. So I'd say I'm all right. So is it more about the aroma of the cork than the actual taste of the wine? It, it'll, it'll translate. It, okay. it, it will, it will, it will, it will taint the, the, the taste of the wine as okay. well. Um, Especially if you're dealing with things over 10 years old, like you'll notice it. It'll it'll be funky and mushroomy. There okay. won't be a lot of fruit characteristics mm-hmm. in okay. it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Because I've definitely had wines that sort of had a barnyardy taste, which yeah. I know is a legitimate taste in wine. Yes. But it makes me think the wine is bad, and I've been assured that it is not. <laughs> well, and like, you know, white burgundy, we're, we're drinking Chardonnay from, from Berg, and you're going to get a little bit of that, like, mushroom. Great okay. champagne it mm-hmm. smells like dirty feet. Like mm-hmm. it's just what it is. But, sure. But so does Harbison, which is one of the greatest oh, cheeses in the world. So good. <laughs> mm. When I was in France at a wine tasting, the the man who was our tour guide basically said the cork should smell like wine. Like if it has off scents, it's generally not a great bottle of wine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's. There are times that the cork will smell off, but the wine is fine. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, you, you can you, tell. Yes, you can tell. Okay. You mentioned <clears throat> wines being baked earlier. Mm. Yeah. Now, is this going to have a different aroma and, yeah. and flavor? Like, it, it all kind of boils down to the wine tasting like garbage. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it, it's – so the, the bottle of wine that you buy – that you're going to open 45 minutes later and you leave it in your car for 15 minutes, like that's not going to affect it. But if you're buying, you know, like auction pieces, you're going to Christie's or Benchmark or, or Sotheby's and you're, you're, you're buying a special bottle for a birth year or something. Um, that's where provenance comes into play. And like, that's where it gets really important. Has this wine ever sat in somebody's back seat for 20 minutes? but it was 90 degrees because that, that'll mm-hmm. that'll bake it. That'll mm-hmm. ruin the wine. Okay. It has has this bottle been exposed to a ton of sunlight like because that'll ruin it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, it was interesting. Over the holidays, I was in a local store, and I was picking up some sparkling wine, and their boxes of wine were sitting right under the heaters that were blowing by the doorway. Oof. And the bottles felt warm. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. I went to the back and got some cool <laughs> bottles. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, like, if, if you're buying a, a $15 bottle, it's probably fine. But if you're buying something with some age on it, like, I mean, wine, my favorite thing about wine is that it's a lot like people, like humans. Um, and like, you, you know how you can kind of like toss your toddler down the stairs and they like bounce around and then they're fine. I mean, you can do that, yes. Yeah, Sh- should you? I, no, I maybe don't have not. a child, by the way, uh, and I'm not good with them. But I've I've seen toddlers like just mess their lives up and like bounce back Walk like away. it's nothing. No problems. Uh, but you know, if if I fell down the stairs, I would probably be out of work for like two months. Uh huh. Um, that is like wine is very similar. The older it gets, the more sensitive, the more, you, mm-hmm. you know, you it, the small things start affecting it mm-hmm. in a, okay. a greater way. Good analogies. Okay. So you've kind of talked a little bit about like tasting wine, like presenting wine at the table and all that. Can you walk us through the best way to taste wine? So like sniffing, swirling, legs, all that. Yeah. Um, legs is one thing that I despise talking about. Um <laughs> You can skip that. Part. Tell us like, why. Yeah. The, uh, well, it, it, if there was a man, it, like, I, okay. You remember the first time you looked at Sean? Yes. You do? I do. Okay. So did you, when you looked at him and you like checked him out and you saw his legs, were you like, that man is brilliant. He's got this incredible way to develop culture. He's funny. He's got this like kind of depressed artistic thing that's awesome <laughs> and he can make the best food out of anything. Did you get that from his legs? No. No? No. Okay, cool. You don't get anything from wine's legs okay. either. Like like it's uh, like I don't know any other way to make it, like that analogy. Like people talk about like, oh look at the legs. Like the legs don't tell you shit. Like just like people. Like they don't tell you anything about the person. Okay. Um and it, it, they don't tell you anything about the wine. Uh, but yeah, so tasting wine. Um, this is something that I think is really misunderstood, in, especially in American culture. Mm-hmm. In, in like France and Italy and, and Spain, like when you sit down and have a meal, like that's what you're doing. Um, like America loves fast food and loves, you know, like we're going to eat on the run and we're going to rush this. Tasting, Tasting wine, my favorite thing about tasting wine is there's like... 15 seconds mm-hmm. where like everything in the world stops for me. And all I'm doing is like, what's going in my nose, what's hitting my palate, everything else kind of drops away. And I, I think that's the really great thing. So for me, never swirl sparkling wine. It's bubbly. Mm-hmm. You don't need to swirl it. Um, but smell and you have a dominant nostril. There's one nostril that gets better airflow than the other. Hmm, so, wow. so you might have to go from the left to the right. <laughs> Interesting. Um, like I know my left nostril is better than my right one. Uh-huh. It just gets more, uh-huh. more things in it, uh, more air through <laughs> it. Uh, <laughs> and so that like smell. And when I taste wine, I use a system that uh, Deli Rex developed that came through me, uh, through Sean. Um, she is a wealth of knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And her tasting grid is incredible. <laughs> um, I, I have a literal three inch binder full of every wine that I've tasted since Sean made me start doing this tasting grid. Um, that is, that is in my backpack all the time. Uh, and so the first thing you want to do is look at the appearance of the wine. Is it red? Is it white? Is it mm-hmm. pink? Is it, you know, you can, you can see the rim 
around it and if you're blind tasting like depending on the color if it looks like a brick like you know mm-hmm. you're drinking barolo mm-hmm. like that's just it's easy um so you, you look at it get the visual characteristics and then go to your nose so what are we smelling are we smelling roses are we smelling dried cherries are we smelling potpourri um and there is especially with wine tasting i feel like there's a bunch of pretension about mm-hmm. it for you, sure especially like after those psalm documentaries which those guys are brilliant they're they're brilliant mm-hmm. guys and they're they're the best at what they do but there's no right or wrong answer for anything that you're tasting like no matter how hard i can i try i will never be able to taste through your guys's mouth mm-hmm. um so if i say i smell roses and you say you smell chocolate you're right <laughs> like, um, and that, that's all that matters. Sure. Um, but all, always smell. And then, um, when you take a sip, you've got like all these different zones on your tongue. Mm-hmm. So it's not kill it and sip and just chug it. If you're, if you're tasting wine, you know, go to the left side of your mouth to the right side of your mouth, let it sit on your tongue. I always say count to 10, which like. 10 seconds doesn't seem that long, but like. It kind of is when you've got a mouthful of wine. There, he, he's doing it right yeah, now. Yeah, that was 10 seconds. Like that's kind of a long time. Yeah, for sure. But that's, that's what, that's what, that's how long it, like that, then you really get to know the wine. It's, it's like getting to know, mm-hmm. know a person um, and a culture kind of all in one sip, which mm-hmm. is what I love about it. So I always, you know, slow down if, if if you're just drinking to because you're on the patio and it's a nice day out and and you're you're drinking with friends like that's different like throw back that rosé but like put some ice in it yeah <laughs> yeah like there's nothing wrong with a spritz but so many times like if it's something special if it's that birthier bottle if it's a special occasion like sit down and mm-hmm. be still mm-hmm. for a second and yeah count to ten mm-hmm. and ten seconds is awkward. And like, j- just shut up and, and taste something. Cause it doesn't matter if it's one year old or if it's 50 years old, like what you're tasting is somebody's art. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a, a representation of people's culture and, and the land and their history. And it, you know, just shut up and sit still for a second and, and, and appreciate it uh-huh. cause it's beautiful. So, your steps are look at the color. Yep. Sniff. Yep. Maybe move from nostril to nostril. Yep. One of them might smell something different. And then taste. Yep. And then do you swirl? Uh, it's red and white, yes. Um, depending on the age. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the 66 Lafitte that I opened a couple months ago, I did not swirl because that wine was so old that it too much oxygen hits mm-hmm. it. Then it's just going to like... Okay. And it's going to oxidize quickly and okay. then go bad. It wasn't great to begin with because it was a shit year, but that's oh. fine. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and like that's the tricky thing is that there's it, some so much of this is science, but so much of this is also art that like I can't tell you swirl this wine vigorously mm-hmm. because the difference of a year might Make change my opinion right. on wow. that. Um, there's no cheat codes for this. That's why I have a job. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm skipping to maybe a little off topic, still about wine. Um, tell us about tannins. Do all wines have tannins? I feel like tannins are maybe 
what some people don't like about wines. Yeah. Give it that drying mm -hmm. sort of effect. Yeah. Um, well, and like I, I don't know if it was like barefoot or yellowtail or someone put this like oh, sweet to dry <laughs> oh like grid on their back. And so people like associate dry with tannins and it's usually, I do. usually synonymous, but like dry when we're talking about sweetness is not the, not same, the same as as like tannic um oh. tannins are bitter um it's it's what ha it's what makes you feel like when you take a sip and you've got sand in your mouth i won't bore you with the like chemistry um about how that happens but uh like grapes like nebbiolo and cabernet sauvignon um are all highly tannic wines and that's why you lay them down and as as those wines age the tannins literally sink to the bottom of the bottle and that's what forms the the, the grit the residue that's yeah. left in the bottle sometimes okay so are they a bad thing no okay so no. they add they add a flavor to the wine they, they they add a flavor and a texture um and like the thing about tannic wines if you're like eating like a juicy steak or boar or like these mm -hmm. you know super full flavored meats yeah the, your mouth dries out, but the, the meat has so much juice that it cuts through it. Like, remember, um, especially like in Europe, uh, the wines and the, the food is always complimentary. Mm -hmm. I say like Italy is the easiest place to talk about it. Like Sangiovese works with classic Italian, like classic mm -hmm. dishes from Tuscany. It's a little sour, but when you when you eat wild boar ragu, mm -hmm. like you get it, right. like because it that sourness just like it it brings this seesaw of balance in your mouth mm -hmm. back to to the middle. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so that was one of our questions. Is I guess this is probably too broad of a question, and maybe you can narrow it down as you're talking. But pairing wines with food. I feel like a lot of time, like when I go to a restaurant, I just get a glass of the wine that I know I like, not necessarily corresponding with what I'm eating. I'm that way too. I mean, let's be honest. But how, I mean, how do you go about it from a professional perspective? Ooh, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, again, I'm going to go back to some of this is an art and mm -hmm. some of this is a science. Um, I mentioned the the 10 course dinners that I, I, I was doing wine pairings for. Uh-huh. I think I did 56 second Saturdays, so 560 pairings. Um, I, okay, so we've got like a really bad cliche. If it grows together, it goes together. Mm -hmm. So like if you're, if you're going to a, a restaurant and you know the f chef is from Alsace and the food is gonna be Alsatian, Bring a bottle from Alsace. Like, so it's a cliche, but it's not a bad. It's not an no, it incorrect works. cliche. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's 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 a thing. Right. Like that's right. the reason why it's a cliche. Um, so that's like a, a great starting point. And I love like the thing about pairings is sometimes if you just like the wine, if the wine's good, mm -hmm. it's gonna go with whatever you're eating. Uh -huh. I've got this uh, Beaujolais that I keep mm -hmm. a couple cases of at the house and it doesn't matter what slice of pizza Fong's is selling for $3 <laughs> at, at 2 a.m. Somehow this wine is always the perfect pairing. Oh my gosh. Like I, I wish I was kidding, I'm not. Even for Crab Rangoon pizza? They don't do that by the slice at uh. two o'clock in the morning. Um, <laughs> 
but yeah, it's like it it always works. Um, and so the bit when you're talking about balance and pairing, uh-huh. I, it, there's two sides to the coin. You can contrast the flavors, uh-huh. or you can enhance the flavors. If you're having something sweet. You can either pair something super sweet with it. You're having a rich chocolate dessert, and you can put like a dope port with it, or or something sauternes with a little bit of like green apple and citrus uh-huh. with it. Or you can go the exact uh-huh. opposite and drink a Nebbiolo from the Lange in Pimonte in Italy, uh-huh. and it'll work. Um, but it's it, again, we're talking one will enhance the sweetness, the uh-huh. other is just like the the. The opposite. Okay. Um, and, you know, sweet, like sweet, the bigger the flavors, the bigger you can go with the wine uh-huh. or the eat, like, or the less you can go with the wine. Like spicy food, when we get into ethnic foods, uh, that takes a very tricky turn. That's mm-hmm. that's like the, the, the hardest part about trying to pick, like, pho to me. I still haven't found the perfect pho wine. Okay. Um, it, it sinks out, mm-hmm. with, you know, it, it's go cheap. with the beer instead. Yeah, yeah, it's cheap beer for me, um, <laughs> and it, or White Claw. Um, <laughs> oh no! Uh, <laughs> Black Cherry White Claw and Fog, just for some odd reason, always <laughs> is always good to me. Um, it's, but yeah, it, it like the big thing is you have to you have to look. Do I want to enhance certain flavors or do I want to contrast? certain flavors okay. but the the bigger flavors you're working with the the bigger the wines you can go to i i wish i had like a set rules that i could like rattle off mm-hmm. to give your your listeners something that they but always have in their back pocket i think you did give us that though because you said either you go with something that like full skill complements it so sweet with sweet or you go the complete opposite direction. You don't want to go in that middle ground. Yeah, well, and like you, there's like that balancing act because you don't want to go so heavy that it detracts from mm-hmm. the food. From a restaurant perspective, I, I've i been lucky enough for my entire like career to work with brilliant chefs. Mm-hmm. And people don't come to a restaurant to like get the wine pairing. Mm-hmm. People come to a restaurant to, to eat the food. Mm-hmm. And then there's a wine pairing. So, like, it, it was always about enhancing the food and, right. and, and increasing the, the enjoyment of the food. Okay. So, you, I know you've mentioned Barolo a couple times. And yeah. that's an expensive wine. It can be, yeah. In general, when I see it on a shelf, it's definitely more expensive. So, obviously, you can get more budget-friendly wines and you can go, you know, champagnes and Barolos and, you know, Burgundies, things from Burgundy and Bordeaux, I believe, are on the higher end. What makes... What makes a wine more affordable? Are you paying for a name only, a oh, region? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. Uh, short answer, yes. Um, the 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 big answer for this, like, uh, so yeah, real estate in certain regions is more expensive uh-huh. than others, um, and then you've got to take factors like irrigation, um, like legal fees, mm-hmm. like DOCGs, uh, etc into into consideration uh and also how how just how the wine is made and like this this is the big thing like don't get me wrong i love drinking first growth bordeaux Mm -hmm. i love drinking high-end champagne and high-end burgundy uh you don't need to spend five thousand dollars on a bottle for Mm -hmm. it to be good you don't need to spend 
$100 on a bottle for mm-hmm. it to be good. The, the big thing is in the harvest. So the difference between a $5 bottle and a $15 bottle of wine is the $5 bottle of wine has like a minion that like has spinny claws and just <laughs> rips the f- Too bad grapes. this isn't a visual. I was thinking <laughs> that as well, if you can see Jared right um, now. Like, you know, just like tearing the grapes. It looks like a, a, a Disney villain that that's ripping the grapes and the stems off. It's the, about getting it done quickly. Yeah. Um, and like that 15 to $25 bottle, like that's where you start having people who mm-hmm. are clipping the, the grapes, who are placing them in a basket mm-hmm. where they're not getting thrown around. Um, but it, like it, it, talking about why wine gets expensive and some of it is uh, exclusivity. Like mm-hmm. Le Pen, um, super small vineyard in Bordeaux. They do a Merlot. They produce like 500 cases. Um, these are like 15, you know, 10, $15,000 bottles of wine. All this is, is a dick measuring contest for the billionaires <laughs> who like, they, they can't measure their dicks by their, how big their bank accounts are. Cause they've all got billions of dollars and they've all got 21 year old wives. Like, so they, it's just who can get this case of wine because okay. it's so limited. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is a lot of it. But I mean, like DRC in Burgundy, who produces, you know, these are fantastic wines. Yeah, they still use donkeys on the, on the vineyards. They don't use tractors. Mm-hmm. Everything's hand pruned, hand picked. The winemaker who's like a million and a half years old, he's like older than the dirt the, the vines grow in, still walks the vineyards <laughs> and makes sure that the, the vines look right. Like it's... Um, Wine is an expensive uh, uh, pursuit, mm-hmm. and that's why it gets pricey. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it, yeah, like, and, and just because a, a bottle is expensive doesn't mean it, it's great. I can, yeah, I talked about it with champagne earlier. I can find $30 bottles that outdrink $200 bottles mm-hmm. all day, mm-hmm. all day. Wow. And it's, it's, and a lot of that is marketing. And, it, you know, it's, wine is kind of viewed as this luxurious for for the elites and it's not the romans gave slaves wine like mm-hmm. it's 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 every it's in in italy our holy trinity is is what it's olive oil bread and wine that's what you need to survive mm-hmm. like it's not this thing that people chalk it up to be it's good to know that you can drink affordable wine like you can still drink really good affordable wine. You don't have to spend two hundred dollars on a bottle. You can spend twenty or thirty and get something just as good, if not better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, makes it more approachable. My everyday drinker, is, like in the in the spring and the summer, is from a vineyard called a Gare. Mm-hmm. It's in the Chuckley region of Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. The grape is Hunderabi Zuri, slightly frizzante or effervescent. It's eleven dollars and ninety nine cents. That sounds delicious. And like I'm, I'm a pretentious asshole, and that's what I drink every day. Like it's really good. It sounds it's, fantastic. It's real good. Um, and like my my great wine, like you know Albert Bichot in Burgundy, they produce bottles that are ten dollars on the shelf up to nine hundred dollars on the shelf, mm-hmm. and their their ten dollar bottle is very drinkable Chardonnay. Okay, interesting. I love that. I'm all about a bargain. Right? Yeah, yeah. I don't make enough money to to drink super <laughs> high end wine every day. I got rich friends, but they're not that nice. <laughs> um. So, Jared, you are a wealth of information here. I've really enjoyed listening to you. Um. 
tell us a little bit about your education. How how do you know all of this? Yeah. Um, I don't have a lot of friends, and I'm really nerdy. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it looks better on my Tinder bio if I say that I'm a sommelier <laughs> instead of I really like to build Legos at home while I drink wine. Um, no, I uh, I love people. And that's the whole reason why I enjoy this industry and what I do. Uh, it really boils down to I, I really love making people feel good. Uh, I when I it, when I took my first job as beverage director with Sean, I was coming out of a really dark period of my life, and I I noticed that every time I I left work, I felt more loved and more special, more heard and appreciated than I did when I walked in. And that's the feeling I wanted to replicate for my guests because it, it, I've, I have a pretty, even in my dark times, my life is still pretty, like, it's pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't suck. And I, I, for me to take care of guests and make sure that they feel loved and special and important, um, it turned into this well, I need to know more about wine. So I make sure and beverages and cocktails to make sure that I'm always pairing the right thing and to make sure that I'm giving them what they need to, to feel better when they walk out of my doors than when they walked in. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a lot of reading, which is a great way for me to learn about history mm -hmm. and people and a culture and, and, and geography, which is, which is kind of that geeky nerdy part that I was talking about earlier um, so I read a lot of books, I drink a lot of wine, and uh, I've got some friends who are way more intelligent than I am. Ray Doyle, Angel out in Napa, uh, Dale Johnson at Table 128, Ben, like the list goes on and on. Like all of these people are better at this than mm -hmm. I am. Uh, you know, Josh Gingery, just like I'm constantly talking to these guys about wine and, you know, it's just... I, I love wine as a whole because it's a great way to get to know people, um, whether they're an ocean away or I'm sitting across the table for them, from them, like wine kind of enables that. So it's just, it's a lot of reading. It's a lot of reading. And tasty. <laughs> yes. A lot of drinking. <laughs> well, that sounds fun. It does. It's not a bad life. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jared, for coming and being a part of this talk with yeah, us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It yes. was a blast. Thank you. Yeah. Welcome to Let's Make a Meal. This is Haley again, and I have Amanda here. She's going to make the meal for us. And since we just interviewed Jared, he's going to give us a wine pairing for this meal. So are you guys ready? Yeah, your fridge sucks. Uh, well, it's a little, it's grim at the moment. A trip needs to be made to the grocery store. But maybe, maybe you can tell me what I can make out of these components. All right, here we go. I've got some deli turkey and salami. Some leftover basmati rice. I think we've had that one before. Mung bean sprouts, kimchi, red and green bell peppers, and mango and ruby red grapefruit. Whew. Okay. I know it's kind of slim pickings. The obvious choice is to make fried rice yep. with the salami, crisp up the salami, maybe the turkey, but that doesn't really appeal to me in this situation. Rice, 
the sprout, throw the sprouts in, kimchi, saute the red and green bell peppers, and then put the mango and ruby red grapefruit on the side. But I'm also thinking, like we do this a lot too, we can make rice cakes. We always seem to want to, put, <laughs> always want to, seem to make a cake out of something and fry it. I always want to fry everything. Yeah, maybe what we could do is just mix the uh, rice with some salami and an egg. I'm assuming there might be an egg somewhere in your fridge. It, if yes, not, you can always get one. eggs. Um, and then just maybe coat that in some panko, fry it in the pan, and then I'm going to combine the mung bean sprouts, the kimchi, and the fruit. Sounds mm. weird. It might work. I don't know. I think it would. That's sweet And put a little spicy. flaw type thing on top of it. I mean, maybe just juice the grapefruit to like you add some acidity too. to the yeah. kimchi. Mm. Yeah. I, so please... Wow. Take those Help two us things. out, Jared. I, I and literally said like 15 minutes ago that ethnic food is really hard <laughs> to pair, and you guys are just really having your way with me. Um, is the kimchi spicy? It is. Okay. Medium spicy. Medium spicy. Wow. I know. She really threw a doozy here at this one. Yeah. I only had two options, and they're both, you know, Asian-inspired. So the... Can I talk about my bullshit pairings? Yes. (laughs) Uh, These are things that I always keep in my back pocket. They're things that are always on my list because they kind of tend to work with everything. Uh, Rosés, specifically rosés from Provence, France. Uh, So that's southern France. Uh, It's a lot of Cab, uh, Syrah, Sinsol, et cetera. But they're super tart, super crisp, very chuggable. And and <laughs> earlier I mentioned that sometimes pairings just work because the wine's good and the food's good. doesn't necessarily have to work <laughs> together. Um, but I think if uh, if the kimchi is spicy and the mung bean sprouts are kind of funky, mm-hmm. uh, like a nice provincial rosé will have some acidity that will cut through the fattiness of the salami um, and probably the saltiness that comes from making fried rice. Um the other thing that I'm thinking is a Eastern European red wine. Um, specifically, uh, I'm thinking of uh, a vineyard Koslovich, their Turan. That's like a slightly carbonic uh, red wine. Um, it's got it's light. It's kind of fun and bubblegummy, but like great acidity, bone dry. Uh, Beaujolais might be kind of fun too. Um, that that was my my garbage pairing with Fong's pizza at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> that tends to work with everything. Uh, yeah, like some Julianas. That would be cool. You guys really had your way with me with this menu. <laughs> I had nothing. <laughs> I had to make the meal first. <laughs> like God, go to the go to the grocery yeah, store. Okay, okay, grocery okay store. I have some string cheese too. Does that help? Oh, excellent. <laughs> Appetizer. Okay, okay. S- string cheese and like daiquiris. It's very fun. Um, you shoot the daiquiri and then you eat the string cheese. It's like a Bloody Mary. Um, oh, oh, that sounds fascinating. <laughs> I'm a garbage person. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So, so final vote: provincial rosé, um, or or I, I think Beaujolais. Okay. Would would be would be the winners here. Excellent. Okay. Well, you know what you're having for dinner. I do. And you know what to pick up. <laughs> yep. For wine on the way home. <laughs> well, thank you guys. Yeah. yeah thanks. Thank you. Hi, I'm Robin, and it's time for Cracked Up. 
also known as Trivia, and I'm here with Pam and Maddie. Hello. Woohoo. And our topic today is wine, so I'm going to see if I can stump the girls today with some wine trivia. At least we should have some here. I know. (laughs) I'm still in the wagon. That's right. I like drinking it, so that's why I'm here. (laughs) Well, let's see if we can get some answers to these, you know, earth-shattering questions about wine. Okay. So I'm going to start with one that might stump you, but I thought it was an interesting question. So how many, and I'll say, how many pounds of grapes does it take to make your average bottle of wine? Oh, boy. Good question. Is it stomping or what kind of pressing? (laughs) Well, you know what? I actually stomped grapes this year. I know you did. (laughs) When I uh, went to Colorado and visited a friend, uh, there's a little winery there, and we stomped grapes. And it was just really kind of, uh, I think, more of an event to bring people in. And uh, and, and how much grapes was in that well, container? There were a lot. And then they press it <laughs> after you stomp it. So, oh, yeah, 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 a lot. Um, 100 pounds? Am I, like, so off? You are very far off. Off, okay. <laughs> you need to go way down. Like, down. Like 10 pounds? Down. A little lower. One wow. pound? Up. Five. Five. Okay, I'll just tell you, it's two and a half pounds. <laughs> two and a half pounds. <laughs> two and a half pounds. But I thought that was a lot of grapes to, you know, I don't know. Maybe yeah, it, like, it is not. one bottle of wine. <laughs> like we are not making the whole barrel. <laughs> we are making multiple bottles. I was making a case. Well, that was embarrassing. <laughs> no, Can was, I redeem myself? <laughs> oh, that was kind of a crazy question. So I just thought it was an interesting one. Well, I just remember being in a huge vat with a whole bunch of grapes. <laughs> All right. So I won't ask you about the stomping of the grapes. Well, you've already answered uh, that one. It was a very loosey moment. <laughs> okay. Yes, that was a good episode. Okay. So let's do another question. How about how long does it take before a new grapevine would bear fruit suited for winemaking? So when they plant that new vineyard, mm. a whole year, long? longer. I'm thinking um, back to that movie "Walk in the Clouds" with uh, Keanu Reeves and I can't think of his name. And they're uh, vintners in um, Sonoma or Napa or something. Anyway, uh, ten years. No, actually, it's about three to five years oh, for wow. it to get established. Oh, but interesting enough that once, uh, generally speaking, once they uh, start bearing good uh, grapes, grapes <laughs> they are good for about 40 years. Wow. Yeah, that's kind of crazy, isn't I it? I thought they were good for longer than that, actually. That's crazy. But some, some. But, uh, yeah. Okay. Okay, Wow. Well, oh, so once two. you get it started, <laughs> you just got to hang on to that baby. I guess that's right. <laughs> Keep it rolling. Okay. All right, now this one, you you guys are going to know this one. Okay, so traditionally, the method of storing wine is to keep it on the side instead of keeping it standing up. Now, why is that? Why do you store it on the side? I was going to say for um, settling, so the stuff doesn't separate to the bottom, like the tannins. Easy storage in the fridge. (laughs) Well, you're talking. Are you talking about the? The bottles, or are you right. talking about oh, storing I'm those sorry. bottles on the side? Why do we store the bottles on the side the traditionally? Bottles, yes, um, for proper alcohol development. I think it is for settling, just so you don't have as much sediment settling on the bottom of the bottle. But maybe the not. No, no. Okay. I take it we're both wrong. You are <laughs> okay. I thought that one was an easy one. It's to keep the cork moist. 
Oh, yes. Duh. <laughs> right? So that, so that it keeps it from drying up and shrinking. And so a shrunk, you know, when the cork shrinks, yep. it lets air in. Yep. And yep. I know that. I also don't want it to crumble. I totally know <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> I, I thought that one was going to be easy for you guys. Oh, my goodness. It's early. Well, we haven't in, had any wine. Well, in my oh, that's mind. that's our problem. <laughs> in my mind, originally, that's why I kept asking the bottles. I was thinking the... Um, Barrels? Barrels. Oh, yes. okay. <laughs> okay, now how about this one? I know that you ladies will know this one. Okay, oh, when great. you're at a restaurant and you order that bottle of wine and they come around and, and the sommelier will pour, whoever orders the wine, he'll pour a little bit or she will pour a little bit in your glass uh, so you can taste it. Now, what is the purpose of them pouring a little bit in the glass for you to taste before they pour for everyone? That's where you accept or reject the bottle, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, and, and the why? The purpose? Uh, maybe it's because it oh, gets I'm the... Gonna, wait, wait, I'm going to give you three choices. I forgot. I can't oh. read my own thing. Okay, so A, to see if you like the wine. B, to make sure it's the wine you thought it was. Or C, to make sure the wine is not spoiled. All the above. I'd say yes, but if, it, if it's only one answer, I'd say C. It is C, to make sure the wine's not spoiled. But actually, I think it is kind of all three. But maybe... Trick. Kind of a trick question. Okay, I'm going to give you another multiple choice one, okay? Good. All right, because they're a little bit easier. Okay, multiple choice. Okay, by law, the word reserve may only be placed on which U.S. wines? Okay, A, rare vintages available only to select clients, or B, wines aged at least 10 years before being released on the market, or C, any wine? I would go to say B is what I was thinking. B. Well, that's what you would think, but... Oddly, I know. Any of them? Currently, in the United States, the term reserve has no legal significance. So some producers use this reserve designation, you know, to promote to for their high quality wines. But they are free to market their other, you know, any wine as reserve. Oh, that's terrible. It is, isn't it? So we just think that it's something special. So much money on it for the label for no reason. Right. It's all about marketing. So who knows? You don't really know. Hmm. Okay. okay. Let's see. Do we have maybe time for one more question? Well, All I right. hope. Make it an easy one because I we need to redeem or I need to redeem. <laughs> Goodness. Okay. Um. All right. To, maybe I should stop this dry, these dry months. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe you'll more. know this one. Maybe you'll know this one. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> Would you rather have one about grapes or about calories? You tell me which one you want. You calories. Pick. all right i'll give you that one then okay here we go um oh well you might know that one too how many are in a glass of wine oh wait i'll just no i'm gonna change it (laughs) oh wait what'd you say how many are in a glass of wine how many calories how many about how many calories i'll give you that one about how many calories are in a four ounce glass of red wine four ounce around 100 i think i was thinking 90 well it could be i mean i'm saying around i think a glass of white is around 100, I thought. But I don't know if that's a four ounce or a six Thanks, ounce. Um, under 100, if it's four ounce. Okay. You guys are really, you're pretty close when you said 90. Because this oh. is, it's a, approximately 85. Okay. so Awesome. Awesome. So that was a good <laughs> I knew yes. I'd pick the right one. Well, yes. good. <laughs> Way to end it. So Maddie Still wrong, have... but only five oh, wow. <laughs> Good sports, because I know I thought some of these questions are like, well, I think I know that answer. You are so a, a tough surprised. teacher. Yeah. Well, I'm just a bad student. 
No, I thought you guys did a great job. I, I think I'm just not visiting enough vineyards. Oh, uh, that's it. I just drink the wine. I don't know enough about them. I know. I'm well, sorry for my wine just teacher at school. I apologize. You oh. <laughs> tried to teach me better. <laughs> Been there. Anyway, I guess that winds it up for <laughs> Cracked Up, also known as Trivia, for this. I like the winds it up. Winds it up. I know. And I'm not going to whine about it being over. Okay. Me neither. We've popped that cork. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Until next week. Thanks a lot, everyone. Bye. We want to connect with you. Follow Cuisine at Home on Pinterest, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for recipe inspiration, cooking tips and techniques, behind-the-scenes action, and cooking videos. You can also subscribe to our free newsletter at cuisineathome.com slash newsletter. Thank you.